0: Well, I was sorry that I had to miss last week. I was out of town, but I did get to listen to David's lesson on podcast, and it was excellent. Appreciate that. I found myself uh, with a few hearty amens along the way, especially when he uh, gave us a good definition of faith and the evidence behind that faith. And so we will continue our journey looking through Hebrews chapter 11, I've been assigned one verse tonight, verse 7. So we'll read that here in just a minute, and then we'll go from there. Now, there's a lot in that one verse and plenty to talk about, about Noah, one of my favorite persons in Scripture and an inspiration to many, I'm sure. And then from there, a little bit later, we'll be referring to Genesis chapter six through nine in our lesson tonight. So if you'll have your Bible handy for that, we'll get into Genesis six through nine here in just a little bit. Now, primarily we're gonna be focused on Noah's character and faith tonight, but you can't separate Noah from the flood, can you? It's, they're intertwined. That's a story of his life. And so we will spend time on Noah's character and faith, but also on the flood tonight and what uh, that has meant for the world and the change of history, of course. But before I do, I want to say that be prepared for an old school approach here. I'm just telling you from the onset that uh, I generally see the first chapters of Genesis as literal history, historical narrative to be taken rather straightforwardly. I know that there are brothers and sisters of mine who I love dearly who see it differently. I just think they're wrong. (laughs) And uh, I believe that we need to be careful about going too far on the figurative scale in these early chapters of Genesis. I think we've done that too much and it's undermined some of the authority of Scripture. And it's hurt Some of the faith of our weaker members and our younger folks sometimes, I think. I think sometimes we put a little bit too much power in the hands or we acknowledge uh, too much this consensus of modern science. That they have all the answers. But keep in mind, uh, they're fallible human beings. Keep in mind that they've made adjustments to their thoughts and theories quite often on a large scale. And so when I come to a difficulty, I kind of want to go back to the Word of God written by the Holy Spirit to find foundation for truth. And that's kind of the approach uh, that I'll be taking. I believe this was a global flood as described in Scripture. And I'm going to be talking about some of the evidence for that as as we go along. Okay, let's start out by reading the verse in Hebrews 11 and verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now did you notice that phrase towards the beginning here of this verse, and things not yet seen? Have we seen that in this chapter before? Yes, and we talked about it. This is the crux of the matter. Can we trust God for the things that we don't see up front? For future. And of course that's That's what it's all about as a Christian. Do we trust God and his promises and do we act on that? And Noah did, didn't he? Noah did. So if we were going to sing a song tonight, I would suggest trust and obey right here. Because that's what, when you get down to it, that's what we've got to do. That's what Noah did. He trusted and he obeyed. And we'll be blessed if we'll do the same. When you uh, think about the story of Noah and the flood, you know, I, I go back to my grade school days in Sunday school class and remember the good teachers that I had and remember the flanagraphs they had. And, and you got this picture of an ark and you got the little animals that they put on there and then the rainbow behind it and everything's just sunny and bright and, and nice and good. And, Yes, that's a good story to tell, but that's not all the story, is it? Because what brought on the flood? The wickedness of man. The world was corrupt. If you look in the early part of chapter 6 in Genesis, you will see the description there in verse 5. The Lord saw how, how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of his heart was only evil all the time. And it says the Lord was grieved that he had made man, and his heart was filled with pain. Our God's not a robot God, is he? He has feelings. Now he acts, he doesn't act on a whim like we would, but he does have emotions. And when he created the world, if you look back just a few chapters before this, after the week of creation, What did he say about the creation? It's what? Very good. Very good. good. Well, that didn't last too long, did it? Because of man's sin. And God put a curse on the earth because of man's sin. In Genesis chapter 3, it's never worked right since. But God still had a plan to save man. But unfortunately man had become so corrupt and so violent as we see here in the early chapter or early verses of chapter 6 that God had to bring judgment and he was going to destroy the whole world. But then we come to um, a verse, verse 8 with a three letter word that's very important. But, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We're thankful that there was this righteous man. He wasn't perfect, but he was a godly man. And he and his small family were the only ones to survive this judgment. And they are an example for us that in a hopeless situation, what seems hopeless to us is not hopeless for a powerful God. Well... The Bible in the Old and New Testament describes Noah and gives him high praise. Uh, in verse chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Now when you see the term blameless, that doesn't mean absolutely perfect. It does mean that they have integrity. It means that they are complete and sound. They walk according to truth. And that's what Noah was doing. He was a man who did right. Now, when you see this phrase, walk with God, who does that remind you of from last week's lesson? Yeah. Enoch. Enoch walked with God. Now, Enoch was Noah's great-grandfather. But the Lord took Enoch, and he didn't die, before Noah was born. But do you think Noah grew up hearing stories of his great-grandfather? I bet he did. And it seemed to inspire him. And I couldn't help but think of my grandchildren and my children. And I know that you feel the same way. What kind of legacy are we leaving our children and grandchildren? Is it a good foundation built on the promises of God? If it is, it'll last and produce And it did with Enoch, didn't it, and his fateful line leading up to Noah. And then in letter C here on the outline, we see that there's four times in this account in Genesis that the Bible says Noah did everything just as God commanded him. That's a good witness to the character of a person, right? Now, just think about it for a minute. God calls you 120 years before the event and says, "I want you to build a boat." It's probably never rained before, and yet Noah says, "Okay, Lord, what, what how you want me to build it?" Now he built it according to the specifications that the Lord laid out exactly. What do you think would have happened? He said, but Lord, you know, I'll I'll do this, but we've got some pretty good architects here and engineers and I'm going to kind of follow their advice in the way that we build this. Don't think it would have turned out so well. But he built the ark the way that God had commanded him and it paid off. In letter D, we see here that the Bible in Ezekiel chapter 14 mentions three heroes of faith and righteous men. By the way, on the back of your outline, on the very back, you'll see some verses that we're going to be referring to from time to time. And so if you don't want to turn to that in your Bible, you can look on the back of your handout and find Ezekiel fourteen fourteen. The context there is the Bible says if there's a country that sins against God and God decides to bring judgment against that country... And if there are three men like Noah, Job, and I'm drawing a blank here, and Daniel, if those three men, those righteous men, were in the country, they would be good enough to save themselves, but not the rest of the country. Now that's high praise here. Noah's in a list of three pretty good folk were these men. In letter E, we see that Peter in 2 Peter 2 calls Noah a preacher of righteousness, a preacher of righteousness. Now I don't, You may not think of Noah that way as being a preacher, but how did he preach? Well, we don't know the details. But if he started this ark 120 years before the episode and built it all this time, I would imagine that he probably hired some outside, some folks outside his family to work on the boat too, beside his family. And he had a chance to witness to them. And there were probably members of his own family that the Bible doesn't list for us that were not faithful and perished in the flood too. Just think about preaching for 120 years while you're building this ark. And Very few people listening and responding, but just his core family that did. So quite an amazing uh, person. And then uh, in letter F, we see that the Hebrew writer that we just read from 11.7 says that he did this, Noah did this by faith, and he did it because he had a holy fear, a holy fear. What's that mean? Well, it doesn't mean I don't think that we, should, we as God's people should be terrified that the Lord's going to strike us at any moment. I don't think that's what it means. I think it means a deep, awesome respect for God and His power. You trust God and believe that when He says something, He means it. And you act on it. And there's no apology to be made about that kind of fear. That's a good thing. And... Noah had that, and it caused him to act in accordance with with God's will. Let's look a little while at his background information, his family and background, and then we'll look a little bit into the narrative of the flood itself. Noah was born in in 1056 from creation and died in 2006, making him 950 years old at his death. Now, we can't be exactly sure about those dates. That's based on the assumption that the genealogy in Genesis 5 is chronologically accurate and without gaps. There are many scholars who believe there were some gaps in that genealogy. But if you look at it to me, it sounds like it's trying to be chronological. He says, this patriarch lived a certain number of years and then he had his son... And then he lived a certain number of years after that, and he died. And then it goes and talks about his son doing the same thing. It gives years. Seems like the writer's trying to tell us some kind of chronological age to this thing. And so, I'm not being dogmatic about this time, but this is about a thousand years after creation if we take it that way. It could be, could be longer. And then... Uh, Noah was the 10th in the line of the patriarchs from Adam. His father was Lamech. His grandfather was Methuselah. What do we know Methuselah for? Oldest man, man, right? How was it, 969? Is that it? If that's accurate and chronological fit here, then that means Methuselah died in the year of the flood. Think about that. I wonder if God in his grace, because here's a faithful man, let him live out his whole life and that he could die his natural time and then the flood would come after that. I don't know. Number three, after he was 500 years old, Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, what did he do for the 500 years before that? <laughs> they were under direction to multiply, be fruitful and multiply, right? Suggest to me that he probably had children before this. Don't know for sure, but I bet you he did. And if he did, what happened to them? Probably were unfaithful. Probably died in the flood. We don't know. But these three are listed because they were faithful and they joined him on the ark. And then the world after that time was replenished with humankind from his family. And that's the reason they're mentioned here. But just think about it. 500 years old before you have more children. (laughs) How many people were saved on the ark? Eight. Noah, his wife three sons and their wives. Now I sometimes wonder about Miss Noah. Mrs. Noah's not taught much about in Scripture, is she? But just think about her. One day, your husband comes home from working in the vineyard or wherever he was working and says, the Lord just spoke to me and we got to build a boat. (laughs) It's not even rain. What's this about a boat? And you got to hand it to Mrs. Noah and Her family, because they did what Noah said, right? They trusted Noah, and Noah trusted God, and they were saved because of it. Eight people. Now, what was the population at that time? Well, you can do a little math and a little speculation, and I've read some of them, and there's probably about a billion people on earth. A billion people on earth by this time and so only eight of the large group were not corrupted even Seth's line had become corrupted remember you know after Abel was killed you got Cain and he led people down the wrong way for sure and Seth seemed to be on the right path but somewhere down the line that path got corrupted too so it was, a, it was, you know, we think we live in tough times. <laughs> think about living with all that violence and corruptness and only eight people that were good people out of a billion. Well, let's go to the second page and look at the sketch of the flood narrative. I want to spend most of the time on the promises after the flood and the lessons to be learned, so I'm going to kind of go through this real quickly. But I wrote it out for a couple of reasons. One is I I think that a lot of folks that I've met don't really have a good timeline in their picture of the flood and what happened. So this is something you may want to take home and refer to from time to time to help you kind of get things straight. Now, how do we get the idea that God may have warned Noah 120 years prior to the flood? Well, If you look at chapter 6 of Genesis and verse 3, it says, My spirit will not contend with man forever. His days will be 120 years. Now some people have speculated that means that the lifespans would be greatly reduced after the flood and go to 120. But that really doesn't match up with what we see in the genealogies after that. They lived 400 plus years, some of them. And Noah himself lived, what, 350 years after the flood. So I don't see that. I think he's saying, I'm about fed up with man. My my Holy Spirit doesn't seem to be penetrating their hearts and minds. And I'm going to be patient enough and loving enough to give them 120 years to repent. That's the way our God is. And then seven days before the flood comes, he tells them, get in the ark. And then everything broke loose, didn't it, after they got in. And where were, the, where were the two sources of water? From above and below, right? The great deep, fountains of the great deep came forth, pouring rain, at least for 40 days and I think more. And so you've got a large event. And this event, if you do the chroni, uh, you know, chronologically here, comes in the year 1656. So about 1,700 years after creation, we get the flood that killed all these folks. Now the rain, the Bible talks about the rain falling 40 days and 40 nights. But it also mentions that the waters prevailed and kept rising for 110 days after that. So you've got some source of water still coming. Maybe the rain lessened up some. But I think if you look in chapter 8, the key to the 40 days and 40 nights, maybe that's about how long it took for the ark to rise up from the ground because of the water and then it kept rising, like I said, for 150 days until it finally reached its peak, and then it started to recede. So the receding took about 165 days, longer than it took to rise. And it's not just a tranquil receding the way I see it. The Bible talks about an ebb and flow, of that receding water. And I think it was pretty turbulent and did some massive reshaping of the earth. And in my mind, explains the fossil record and the sedimentary layers that we find in the earth, better than the evolutionary theory. Because a lot of animals and people died real quickly like. And you see the evidence of that in the fossil record stacked up together. And so after the 165 days of receding water, you have 56 days of drying out for a total of about 371 days for the whole flood event. And you remember he sent out the raven first, and then he sent the dove three times, right? And the last time the dove didn't come back said, it's time now that we can come out of the ark. So he did. He came out of the ark. What's the first thing that Noah did? Burn Offered burnt offerings. Remember, he had two of the unclean animals and seven of the clean and seven of the birds. And so you've got that extra of the clean and the extra of the birds that he could offer. And God was pleased as he worshipped, as he came out. And he says, molt uh, multiply over the earth, he said. And so he built this altar and worshiped God. And then he lived 350 years afterward. And then he died. Quite a life story that he could tell his children and grandchildren, could he? Through all of this event. Now I wonder sometimes why Shem, Ham, and Japheth didn't have children on board. They would probably been of age for a while. Maybe in God's mercy, he knew that the parents couldn't stand being on the same boat a whole year with the children. I don't know. But I'm thinking that may be part of it. And then he uh, certainly blessed them so that they could produce and be fruitful when they came out of the ark. And by God's mercy, we're here today. Me and you are descended from Noah's family. Just think about that. We're all... A part of the human race there are those who try to divide us based on color of skin and culture and all of that but keep keep in mind we all came from adam and eve and we all came from noah's family we're all made in the image of god god's had a plan hasn't he and in his grace he's provided redemption through his son jesus christ let's look at the promises of god after the flood He says in 8.21, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. So, he's really referring to two great judgments here, right? In Genesis 3, what did he do? We mentioned this earlier. When man sinned, he cursed the earth. It doesn't work right like it used to. And then he sent the flood in great judgment. To destroy the war, the whole earth. The Bible's real clear about that, except for eight people. But he says right here when he comes out, I won't do that again. No matter how evil you are, I'll never do that again. A gracious God. And then letter B is one of my favorite scriptures. Eight twenty-two, Genesis eight verse twenty-two. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat. Summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. What about all these alarmists that tell us that we're going to bring the earth to destruction? Well, I know that we should be good stewards of the environment. No doubt about that. God put us here to take care of it properly. But do you really think God is so impotent that he can't take care of his creation, let it in when he wants it to end? He says right here that we'll always have the seasons of the year. We'll always have crops. We'll have the heat and the cold until I decide to end it. And he will end it with fire this time. But it will be on his timing, not ours. What about the animal kingdom? Did their relationship with man change after the flood? There was more fear there, wasn't? There? Because God said you can now not only eat the plants, but you can also have the animals too, to eat. So it was a quite a change of diet for some. But I, I suppose being these people being disobedient as they were, were probably already doing some of that without God's direction. But now He permits it. And then in letter D you have this origin of human government that God puts forth after the flood where he says, since man is made in my image if you take a life then humans can take your life. A life for a life. There has to be, God recognized that there needed to be some form of human government. Now they have to conduct themselves in a in a right way and justice, make sure they get testimony and all of that to do it. But the Bible here does allow for capital punishment if done the right way for people who murder other people. And then God put a rainbow in the cloud. And we get to see that from time to time, don't we? And what do we tell our children and our grandchildren when we see that rainbow together? What, what do you say about it? I hope you say, well, that's a promise from God. That's God's promise. It's his, it, the Bible says it reminds him like he needs reminding. But I think the deal is that God, it's a way of God promising us that he'll never destroy the world again with a flood. He says that twice in chapter 9. I'll never destroy the world with a flood anymore. And when I talk to my grandchildren about that rainbow, that's what I'm going to say. And you say, well, I believe it was a regional flood, not a global flood. Well, then God's broke his promise several times. Because since that time, there's been some tsunamis and massive floods in different regions of the earth, killing thousands of folks. But it says right here, he never destroyed the world like that again with a flood. And if you think uh, it's a regional flood, then you've got to deal with this problem because the Bible says that all the mountains were covered 15 cubits high over the mountain with water, which is about 20 feet. Now, the law of gravity, what does that say? (laughs) If it's 20 feet over a mountain, the highest mountain, it's not going to just stay in one place, is it? And just think about this. If it's a regional flood, why didn't God just tell Noah, I'm going to have this regional flood in your area. Why don't you just take your family and migrate to a different place? It has been much easier than building a huge boat. So to me, it makes sense that it's a global flood. Okay, what are the lessons that can be learned from Noah's Story on page 3 of the outline here. I believe it's a global flood, as I said before. I believe it's historically accurate. I believe it was catastrophic. It was not some tranquil flood that didn't do any damage. I believed it changed the surface of the earth completely. And things were much different. And even today, we have repercussions, movements of the earth, Volcanoes and such that I think were a part of this whole episode of the flood. One of the greatest testimonies to the fact that it's truly historical, historically accurate is found in the New Testament. So if you'll look at the back of your outline again, at those scriptures on the back, uh, we can read some of those here together. First of all, Isaiah in the Old Testament mentions uh, the flood. And in Ezekiel, we've already mentioned. And then in Matthew, Jesus himself speaks about it. Now, if you want to argue with Jesus, go ahead, but I think he knows what he's talking about. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and did what? Took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, when the Son of Man comes again and brings judgment on that final day, every person that is not his will be under that wrath. Not just a select portion, right? Same is true of the flood. It destroyed the whole earth and covered the whole earth. What about Peter? Did the apostle Peter believe that Noah's flood story was real and accurate? Certainly did. 1 Peter 3 talks about only eight people were saved as Noah was in the ark. And that symbolizes baptism. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, it refers to Noah as being a preacher of righteousness. In 2 Peter chapter 3. Now, the background for 2 Peter 3 is this. The Bible says in the end times, scoffers will come. And they will say, look, everything's always gone on the same for ages on since our forefathers and it will be the same. God's not going to bring judgment. And yet, he says, they forget. Peter says, they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Not just some little regional flood that did no damage. And so... Today, we face scoffers, don't we? Who say, ah, everything's always gone on the same. But they forget that God has power and He created the world, and they forget the flood was real. And the evidence is there if you study it. And then finally, in Hebrews 11 and 7, our verse, we see also the Hebrew writer believes this to be a true story too, doesn't he? All right, let's go back to page three on the outline and uh, letter C. That's where we are. Lessons to be learned from Noah's story, letter C. What do you think about peer pressure that Noah faced? <laughs> We've talked about that in here remaining faithful through peer pressure. We've got that battle too, but think about him. Only family, faithful. And yet he stays faithful through the whole thing. And then he had to face the scoffers just as we do too. In letter E, God is patient with mankind, not wanting anyone to perish, but the day of judgment will come. And we would do well to take God's warning seriously. There are those who say he's not coming again, so just live how you want. First of all, he's going to come for you and me probably before that time when we die, right? And we'll have to face God in judgment. But there's coming a day when the world will be destroyed in fire, just as God said. In letter F, should we keep? Should we stop preaching when others don't take our message to heart? Noah didn't. <laughs> he didn't have a very good percentage of people coming forward, did he? <laughs> it didn't stop, oh Noah. He was consistent in his message, and we need to be too. And then in letter G, was Noah perfect? No, he's like the rest of us. He was human. And the Bible says that one of his flaws was shown here when he uh grew a vineyard, drank too much, and uncovered himself. Now, some people say there was something sexual involved with this. I have no idea what was going on, but he let down his guard. He wasn't disciplined. And his sons reacted quite differently to this episode, didn't they? Sham and Japheth acted bright, didn't want to shame their father. But Ham was different. Ham exploited the episode. They went in backwards, cover, the other two, and covered him up. Because they respected their father. And so it had an effect on Ham and his descendants, didn't it? Canaan and others seemed to have a flaw in their character and it caused trouble. Finally, in conclusion, God is able to save those who trust in him despite hopeless situations. Think about the Israelites in the wilderness. He saved them out of Egyptian bondage, brought them to the promised land. Of course, they failed to reach it, many of them. But think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Think of Daniel in the lion's den. And think of yourself in the lion's den that you face sometimes. God powerful enough to see you through? See me through? Yes, He is. Yes, He is. And Noah is is one that gives us inspiration by his faithful obedience, doesn't it? And uh, you and I might live in a hostile environment. I think it's going to get more hostile. as Time goes on. I think for our children and grandchildren, it's going to be worse. We better start preparing. We better start teaching them that the Bible can be trusted. It's truth. And we better live it, too. That's the most important thing live it out trust and obey and they'll see that and uh, the church will prevail even though we think it's in trouble it will prevail thank you for being here this this evening and i hope that we learn some good lessons from the story of Noah uh, by the way if you ever want some material to read uh, for a more of a scientific support of the flood, being a global flood and that kind of thing, I have some material I can recommend to you, good reading. There's a large group of uh, scientists who are Bible believers who have written some good material. It helped me when I was going through a difficult time after my very difficult divorce back in the 90s. And I was having a tough time with my faith and trying to survive and get back right. I had to start all over again. And I went back and studied and said, all these things I was taught with the child, do I believe them or not? Are they real or not? And I did the study and I studied the Word and then I would read these other things and my faith began to grow again. And so I came through that stronger on the other side I wouldn't want to go through it again, <laughs> but stronger. The Lord helped me to grow in faith, and hopefully still is growing in faith. But it, we need to do it constantly, don't we? Don't just rely on, on what you've done in the past and you know what you've heard in the past, but keep studying and keep trusting. Thank you. Have a good evening. Appreciate you being here.